The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hey, Ilya, it's episode 50-something of the Cinematography Podcast. I've lost count. Yes, me too. But uh, And I did... in fact, we're just not even going to talk about what episode number it is anymore. So. No, and it, actually, I saw a total... Big change. I saw a list on uh, Apple Podcasts that had our complete number of episodes that we've uploaded, and I believe that included like the backlight stuff that we did, everything that basically we, we, we've done, and it was actually 70-something things wow. for people to go through. Yeah, it's a, it's a Who lot. knew that when I made the suggestion to you in like 2006 that it was going to be making you do all this work one day? <laughs> Yes, it's you know what though? Uh this is this is fun work. This is, is this fun. is this this is more fun than I than I expected it would be. Ah, well I'm glad. Yeah, I thought it might be just like working on a coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I know when you said, "Hey, let's like, you know, find interesting people and talk to them about cinematography." Uh I said, "Sure." So, so here we are. Here we are. 70 something things later. Yes, exactly. But uh, and 50 something for our official episodes. And we've got a really great show today. We've got Mike Figgis on the show. Awesome. Mike Figgis, genius director and inventor of the fig rig. Inventor of the fig rig and very early pioneer of uh, digital video technology back with a movie called Time Code. And uh, I saw Time Code in a a movie theater. I saw it in a theater that's no longer a movie theater on La Brea Boulevard. So what are we doing for the George Foyt close focus segment today? I think it's Streaming Wars. Streaming Wars. It's it's coming, man. Let me tell you, we are going to have to pick a side. Streaming Wars are here. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to have to pick a side, uh, meaning you're going to have to decide who to give, uh, what, $5 a month indefinitely to. That's right. Hulu, Netflix, Disney. Apple. Well, and, and I feel like the the shot over the bow really was from Disney to Netflix when they pulled all their content, or they haven't. They're still pulling their content. They're in the process. But when they like basically said like, oh, you know, firstly I was like, oh man, they're you know, Daredevil got canceled. Oh, Jessica Jones. Oh, Iron Fist. Oh, yeah. oh, those are all Marvel things. They're all owned by Disney. They're just pulling them off of Netflix. There was that that slow sinking feeling. That being said, I was freelancing for Disney. I probably told you about this at D twenty three Expo just a few months ago you did and uh, even on the show you told me i did i talked yeah. about it on the show and uh at that day was the first day that you could get a disney plus subscription and you could buy it ahead of time for like three years mm-hmm. for like four dollars a month and uh knowing that i got you know the baby who is uh, going to be a little boy who's going to want to watch cartoons and star warsy stuff i was like uh tempted not just t- no, I did it. I you was, did it. Oh, no, I, I, I haven't I, met anyone who did it. I totally, I totally did it. And they gave us a founders pin, which I don't care about. But uh, uh, at least it wasn't a Tomorrowland pin. <laughs> no, but it, you'll end up in an alternate dimension. And then, and then Apple Plus. I mean, Apple Plus to me is is an interesting. Well, let's go back to Disney for okay, one second okay, here. Sorry. So you just paid three. You just paid for three years in advance for something you haven't had access to or used yet, right? And it was something that really that is, doesn't exist yet. That, yeah, that is not publicly available yet. Okay, so um, they just. Just announced in the last few days that if you are a Verizon FiOS customer or have and, like their, and, and FiOS is not available in my area, so okay, but you yeah. could also be like one of those Verizon Unlimited customers. They have a couple of different uh, things, but T-Mobile. If, but if you were, and if or if any of our listeners are, 
you now get the Disney Plus free for a year. I'm sure they'd love for people just to subscribe in advance, but sure. they're going to give you a year free. And Apple, not to be outdone, was like, well, buy yourself an iPad, buy yourself an iPhone. You're also going to get a year free. So Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It, but to me, it comes down to, like, what's the content? And with Disney, like, of all the studios, if I say, hey... Uh, Apple's I, got Oprah. If I was, if I was going to say... If I was gonna say Apple's got Spielberg. Uh, Apple's got amazing talent. But if I were to say... Hey, I'm going to go see an, a Universal movie this weekend. Mm. That that is meaningless. I'm going to go see a Paramount movie. I'm going to go see a Warner Brothers. That's movie. That's true. That that that's a meaningless thing to say if, to 99.9 percent of people. To, I think to everybody. I don't. Really? Th- I don't. Th- not, not to the people who work at Warner Brothers. Well, yeah, but like, what's the brand of Warner Brothers? But if I say I'm going to go see a Disney movie, we all know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's I true. I mean, I might mean a Pixar movie or I, Touchstone. I, yeah, <laughs> is Touchstone still around now? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they are either. And so Disney Plus having all of the like practically a hundred years of Disney content that's just available streaming that, that that they have you know they own. You sort of already know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, honestly, when Warner Brothers launches their streaming service, what's it? H- HBO Max. Yes, HBO Max. There's a sense of like understanding of what all is going to be on that service as well because you're you're digging into archives. And, you know, having access to Disney's archives, I don't know if my son's going to have the attention span to watch, you know, Pinocchio now, but maybe by the time he's like four or five, he might have an interest in that kind of thing. But certainly all the Pixar movies, all that stuff, like it's, it's all like, you know what the brand is. Whereas Apple, I feel like no matter what level of talent they throw at it, 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 I think back to early Hulu and Amazon and Netflix and the first offerings that those streamers had of original series didn't quite work. Like mm. you could see that there was talent. You could see that there was an idea. But then like, you know, with with Netflix, I, I, I want to say it was House of Cards. It took a while to hit their stride. Yeah. I think it, it took a while for uh, technology executives to learn how to be television executives because it's a different job. And mm. I'm sure they hired television executives, who, but they're still answering to technology executives not network types, not the kind of people that they're used to answering to. And so I feel like you get a different quality of work out of that. I mean, it's just my opinion. And so like I've been hearing reviews of uh, Apple Plus's early offerings and they're not s- stellar. Like they carpool karaoke. Uh, are they are they doing that? Yeah, that, I think that's the first thing they've put out there. Yeah. I mean, I, it's wildly entertaining. <laughs> People are really into it. But, so, but, but yeah, the streaming wars, though. So it's like if all these studios are now streamers and there's a series of sort of conglomerate ones, which have like, you know, the Hulus where multiple people are getting involved. Yeah. And uh, well, Disney owns Hulu now. So. And Walmart's in this game, too, is they own Vudu. And now they're streaming some stuff for free. Vudu, which streams a little movie called Alien Raiders. Everyone should go watch. <laughs> Uh, IMDB is also now with their free dive, which we've talked about on the show mm. before, too. Uh, you can start watching advertising supported paid for content and stuff. Crackle's another one. That's, I, yeah. I worked for Crackle and uh, Shutter. Yeah. I, I, well, Shutter Shutter is not an ad supported. Uh, no, no. But I'm just saying like there's so many different sh- streaming services out there and either they're generally free ad supported or they require some sort of form of payment whether you're paying it or a verizon or an apple or someone else is paying it for I, you for me personally i'm okay with the clean transaction of like i pay for the service and as compared to uh no offense to if any of my former uh overlords and bosses from crackle are listening to this 
I don't mind watching the ads. I feel like the way the ads were curated on Crackle, like I remember watching Chosen, which was the TV show that I'd worked on on Crackle, and like the same BMW commercial came up at every ad break. Yes, that seems to be the Achilles heel of a lot of these uh, ad based. Uh, yeah. They don't just don't have that many advertisers yet. Also, I don't know if Crackle is very popular somewhere else, but I almost never came across anyone who was watching anything on it. And I, and I was extremely proud of the show that I had worked on, even though I'm, again, second unit director. I can't really take credit for what it was. You but can take credit for second unit. Second unit kicked ass. It's where all the fun is. <laughs> it really is. It's true. Explosions, <laughs> stunts, blood. Head, 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 head trauma. We, yeah. we blew up a head in a toilet. True story. It's perfect. But, uh, you know, Crackle, which I think beat everybody to market. Like, I think they really were, did. They were they one were of the first. Before Netflix was streaming. And yet, and they're owned by Sony, so they've got money. But they never, they have yet to, like, really break through. Hulu, I feel like Hulu is a great service for, like, watching TV shows that you already love. But it wasn't until Handmaid's Tale that I feel like they busted through. I disagree. I think 11-22-63 was... Uh, was You're right. That was... That was a great show. I'm not saying that. I, I'm not saying they didn't do good work. I'm I saying Handmaid's Tale was the thing that made them part of the water cooler conversation of the country, and that and House of Cards did that for Netflix. Hmm. And I mean, like uh, Amazon has had a few. Amazon has had a few. Uh, the Man pa- in the High Castle maybe is one of them. That, that was big for me. I think Patriot was an infinitely better show, but you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Amazon's had a lot of good stuff, but Amazon sort of, I. I I know what the Netflix voice is. I struggle to understand what the Amazon voice is. Well, Amazon's voice is sort of an aggregator, too, because you can also buy your HBO, buy your stars, buy yeah. your other streaming services. And you can also purchase individual episodes of stuff that you might like yeah. or you know can only catch there because of whatever reason might be. But like, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll show you stuff from AMC or they'll show you stuff from uh, FX. They've got different. You can download episodes. Apple TV did something similar, of course, too. But now I guess. The whole point of the streaming wars is that it's a battle to get the best content so that you are paying money and the sort of curated HBO where you have one thing that appears maybe once a week or Sunday is HBO night. The the mandate for HBO Max is different. It's more like Netflix. We need a lot of content. We need a lot yeah. of stuff out there and we need to keep people watching us rather than somebody else. Hey, hey HBO Max, hire me. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I mean, and I think that the, ultimately the viewer is the winner, but uh, but here's who's going to really win the streaming wars, in my opinion, is somebody who figures out how to bundle it in a way that makes it kind of look the way that cable TV bundles already look, mm. in a sense. Because w- what is a little frustrating is like, like if you have a, like I have a Roku TV and like going through app after app after app to try searching, and find, searching, yeah, searching. And it's, and it's like TV, it, TiVo solved that. They did? TiVo has a unified search where you can search in one place and it'll search all those things and tell ah, you where it is. Interesting. So, Way to go, yeah. TiVo. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty It's it's pretty clever. So you're saying I have to get a TiVo now. Well, that's a whole other subscription and uh, thing. So you don't have to. I'm just saying that it, it, it exists. Uh, there are... I, I've noticed, though, that when you type some movies now into the, the Google platform, it actually says streaming on what channel it'll like autocomplete like hey where, where can i find yeah. this where can i watch this where can well, I we used it? to have the amazon fire stick before we had our roku and uh and what my only frustration with that because I, I amazon's fire stick is a perfectly fine streaming option was that if you were looking for anything it tried to push you to how to get it on amazon even if it was paid even if the identical thing was on something you already subscribed to somewhere else yes and and i think that that problem will go away as more and more essentially all of these services are 
some form of paywall, either actual pay or with advertising. But the idea is to get you to watch something on their service and to not allow any other service from even having it if they can so help. But it. but so. again, if somebody can come up with a way, and I'm, I'm betting someone's going to do this, to just bundle them. So it's like you pay what you would pay for cable and you get your Netflix and your Hulu and your, you know, whatever. And you, what's so funny is that nobody wanted that in the era of cable. But now... But now in the era of, you know, post cable for a lot of people, how do you bundle all that together? Well, you want you want the convenience of the bundle. What you don't want is to pay for something that you're never going to watch. Like, for instance, I will never watch televised sports. I'm never going to watch them. I don't like them. And yet I have like 27 ESPNs on my cable service inexplicably. Mm-hmm. And that means I'm paying for ESPN. It means I'm paying for the religious programming. I'm paying for home shopping networks and things that I don't use. And, <laughs> and I'm not down on those who do use those things they're just not my thing and so i'd rather be able to you know kind of pick and choose the things that i wanted to subscribe to yeah i i've just uh, now imagining your kryptonite channel which is going to be like a qvc for sports memorabilia sold to you by uh, extremely religious devout scientologists uh, my uh, it's the food channel that's that, that's my kryptonite <laughs> oh really and so it's it has I, <laughs> I have i have a dread of watching real footage of people eating i just don't like watching it on television all right, all right. so so ben let's let's get to, let's get to mike figus because this is a great episode and now we've yacked it for in close focus for a while and uh if if People uh, have made it through our, our streaming wars. Now uh, they should get some art in their life. And I think that Mike Figgis, he makes some really arty stuff. He he's, is he's awesome. And, uh, you know, I got to mention Leaving Las Vegas. And we, we Leaving Las about, Vegas, big Oscar winning movie. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he received uh, some nominations himself. And he is a delight. He's really, really fun to talk to. And he's got uh, some great stories to share. Uh, speaking of which, he does this panel. And the panel was sort of, uh, I'm going to describe it as a tour de force. It ventured into all these different areas about his creativity and his process and a book that he wrote. Uh, when it was over, I, I basically went up to him and said, hey, uh, you want to do an interview with me? And he was like, I would be delighted. And so next thing I know, boom, we're sitting down and talking about a whole bunch of stuff. We only had him for a few minutes, but it was fantastic. All right. Well, without further ado, here's One on One with Mike Figgis. <laughs> The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Mike Figgis, thank you very much for coming on the Cinematography Podcast. It's my pleasure. And I'm looking forward to discussing what's going on in the world of digital technology in, let's say, the entertainment business, the movie business. Uh, let's let's get right into it. So tell me where you think the industry is going. We're, you know, we've had a big transition in the last decade. What uh, What's next? To be really corny, the cart is definitely leading the horse. And by which I mean by tapping into the kind of kind of addiction that you and I definitely have, because we've just while we were setting this up, we would we had a totally geeky conversation about microphones and recorders and all kinds of stuff. So it is fascinating and I find myself reading what's known techno porn a lot, you know, which is like, oh, new new developments in recorders. I'm a sound guy originally, so but I also know in reality that there was a period around about the beginning of this century, around about 2000, when I was working with a lovely camera called the PD-100, which represented a complete liberation from the kind of strictures of, of film, i.e. you could shoot a 40-minute take without stopping. It was pretty good, fixed lens. 
uh, it could it had built-in effects which were rather beautiful and then, and there was this moment when I, I think myself and everybody thought wow this is the new cinema you have films like Festen known as also Celebration coming which remains one of the best films I think of the last 30 years shot on a PD 100 or maybe a 150 with available light and under the, the strict rules of dogma and a perfect camera for that and then let's cut to the present tense and you know we're at camera image just below us on the main floor is um the camera toy shop you know it's like christmas day for cinematographers where you have all the main brands you have ari you have canon <clears throat> you even have Arton who used to make cameras are making lights now you have all the lens manufacturers hawk and everybody and the stuff is beautiful and it's addictive and you know it's promising so much to everybody it's promising sharper resolution so we go from 2k to 4k to 6k to 8k to god knows where and it's like i <clears throat> i think i said in the uh, thing yesterday you know the old joke why does a dog lick its balls and the answer is because it can you know i think we're in that you know dog moment here where there is no reason to have a, a better resolution on a camera actually film was fine in that respect and then video pretty quickly within a matter of a few years caught up with the resolution of film and now is determined to go to the point where we can accurately render the the shape contour and a color of a pimple on a, a, some unfortunate actor's face um, or what large pores that actress has who would have known what rough skin she has or he has you know and it begs the question, which, which I ask a lot, which is, you know, really, why do we need that much resolution? Because in parallel, the trend has been to, let's say, you know, move from cinema to television as our main sort of story, visual story gathering sort of mode. And not only that, you know, people have just come back from Korea, you know, you go on the subway, they have obviously amazing, um, you know, reception for their phones and everything. People are watching movies on their phones on the subway. And really enjoying them. You go on a plane, everyone's watching a movie, probably on their iPhone or, or equivalent. And the luxury is almost the iPad. And the big luxury is the bigger iPad, right? So um, I admit that I watch most of my stuff now on my iPad. I love the iPad. I love the image quality. The sound is not bad and headphones are fine. You know, um, I'm irritated in the cinema often by a distraction of other people, um, either going to the toilet or checking their iPhone during the screening. Uh, I find it very distracting. So and I want to watch a film without, you know, also for convenience on my iPad. So what good is 8K going to be to me on an iPad, you know, I mean, or a phone? So what I'm the cart before the horse literally means we're now making things we don't need and they're expensive and we're urging people also the iPhone has created this thing of like, there's a new iPhone coming out. It's twice the price, but you must have it. And the question would be, why? Is the phone any better? No. In fact, the phone becomes the least of the considerations of the phone. It's all about the camera. And I, someone just told me the new iPhone, the, the camera is remarkable. And the sound quality is pretty good too, you know. So we're in a period of such confusion. And at a, at a place like camera image or camera image, uh, if you want to not be Donald Trump, uh, it would be a really interesting series of questions to ask this new generation of DPs coming up. Are you addicted to the techno porn or are you, a re you know, are you going to make a stand and say, I don't want any more stuff? And who can afford it? You know, it used to be when I started was my ambition always was I need to own my instrument. You know, I'm a jazz musician. 
I would never think of renting a trumpet. I need to own that trumpet and play it every day. And I had the same feeling about a camera. So I always owned it. I bought an Arton 16 millimeter. I still have it. You're also a cameraman, though, too. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're a cameraman, so uh, it makes sense to own your instrument. It makes sense to... to I need to know, you know, yeah. if there's something that's not quite right on it, how I compensate for that. Um, I remember on the Arton shooting a rock video in Paris, and get, get, I got caught in a rainstorm, and the camera stopped working. And I just took the cover off, and I got a hairdryer, and I just kind of I blew some hot air on it, and 10 minutes later it was working again, you know. You can't really do that anymore, you know. No, no, you're 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 pretty hosed if it, if it, your electronic camera gets yeah. wet these these days. Okay, so I wanna I wanna ask a hypothetical situation though. If you're, I mean, leaving Las Vegas is a beautiful movie. It's uh, famously shot on 16 millimeter, which uh, at the time that the movie was made was kind of considered like you know the 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 lesser format, the 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 orphan format almost. I mean, it was a big push to like oh god, 16 mm-hmm. millimeter, super 16 millimeter. I I've always loved the the format myself. But if you had to make that movie again today, would would you go for that same film aesthetic? Would you go for 16 millimeter or would you would you go with a I mean, a, no one's going back to the PD 100. But would you opt for modern digital technology mm-hmm. if you had a chance to to if, if it was all happening today? What would be your 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 modus operandi? Well, you know, in a roundabout answer, uh, I'd say the following. <clears throat> I'm really concerned with uh, raw and, uh, and the effect that shooting raw has had on colorists and DPs in general. The fact that everybody just accepts that you're shooting an image that looks awful, you know. Um, sometimes they say, oh, we'll put a filter on it if you want. You can get a sort of fake, you know, color color on it. Just if that makes you feel better, Mike, you know, because you're so old-fashioned. I can't bear to watch this milky, you know, unsubstantial image. It's not why I wanted to be a filmmaker. So. I would prefer to shoot on something that that actually avoided that process. So I shot a feature film on a Canon uh, 70. Very happy with it. I was just actually blown away by how good it was, blown up on a in a, on a huge screen. There are a bunch of cameras like the C300. It's, it's pretty good. I'm shooting on the Nikon stills camera right now, the five. The quality is amazing. And I and what you get is you know you make that decision as you shoot. I use a monitor but not a huge monitor. And I kind of, go, I, I dial in the saturation that I think is appropriate for the scene. And I stop down and I'm not thinking I'm, I can save this in post. I'm hoping that what I shoot is pretty much what's gonna end up. I might have to do some matching from shot to shot, but in general, I, I choose the look and I stay with it. Um, I chose Super 16 millimeter because the same reason I didn't want to, uh, well, mainly I didn't want to go through the hassle of a 35 millimeter crew and the trucks and all of that. And it was a low budget, you know, and I'd shot on 16 before and I had a camera. I did have an art on, so I made a decision I was going to shoot second camera and I knew I'd be more comfortable on 16 than I would be on 35. I was much more in control of my camera. And then I shot another three features in, in total on Super 16 and then the video thing happened. So in answer to your question, I might perversely, as I've tried to do in the last year or so, choose to go back to Super 16 just because not only do I love the look of it, I know uh, the younger generation actually really loves it. And when you're seeing things like Hurt Locker, you kind of go, what's wrong? Uh, what's wrong with this film? Nothing. You know, it looks great. It's a fantastic movie and and looks and looks fantastic mm. as well. So, um, well, th- that does answer my quest- my question. And I think that there is definitely still a place for the aesthetic of film, but... 
the convenience that comes along with the digital and the improvement of the digital coming to these smaller packages and smaller crews. Mm-hmm. I think that um, exactly what you're talking about, that the... Uh, I mean, the, amount, the, amount know, of stu- the amount of stuff we need. Yeah, we actually, and, need and, you know, as a sort of appendix to the last question, were I to choose to shoot, let's say, a small film on Super 16, I would have to be prepared for a lot of hassle because there are very few labs. So there's very, you know, you have to really wait for your results. And the kind of, you know, auxiliary industries that exist around contemporary film production don't exist around 16 anymore. So you're kind of, you know, making a perverse choice in that respect. I wasn't when I did leaving Las Vegas, although I did have a lot of trouble with the labs in America because they were definitely not geared up to, to process Super 16. I've heard many stories, including one yesterday about someone whose uh, dailies were all processed through a bleach bypass path and by mistake. And uh, when they got the lab report, they were he was he was blamed as uh, underexposing all the image when it was entirely mm-hmm. their fault. Uh, I know we're we're very short on time, but uh, I want to say thank you very much for for coming on the podcast, and uh, love to have you on the, the show again sometime. It would be a pleasure time. anytime. And now war stories. This is a war story about a live mix screening of Time Code in Mexico City. Now they'd asked for it. I replied from London and said, okay, I need the following things. In order to do a live mix, I need the following items. I need a DigiBeta PAL machine. I need a DA88 multi-track recorder. And I need some kind of timecode interface that's going to lock them together because it's based on timecode, hence the name of the film. So uh, they said, fine, no problem, no problem. I checked three times, no problem. I'm on the jury of the Mexico Film Festival, so I get there and I, um, I say, oh, let's have a rehearsal, you know, because it's quite complicated. I go to the cinema, it takes three hours because of the traffic in Mexico City. Get there, there is a huge problem. In fact, they haven't got a PAL machine. They've got an NTSC machine. But they said, not to worry, we've made a transfer. Fine. So we set it all up and the time code will just not talk to itself. So we then start making these calls to London, to the Sony Center, to Los Angeles, saying, help, help, help. There's about, you know, too many cooks for the broth. There was about 15 technicians, all hysterical, trying to get the film to hold sync. I have to finally abandon the rehearsal, and they go, okay, you've got three days, sort this out. So in the three days, they report back, okay, finally we fixed the problem. So I said, okay, I still want to get there early for the screening. I get to the screening, and they say, look, and they turn it on, and it's in sync, or is it? So I said, just, uh, they're going to turn it off. I go, keep running, keep running. We're a minute in, and already I know there's like a, you know, a two, two, three-frame drift. So I know it's 95 minutes, and I know we're going to be in deep trouble. So again, on the phone, London, Los Angeles, the Sony help, blah, blah, blah. And then the audience start arriving outside, and the festival director goes, "This you've got a full house, and they're all getting really angry because we're keeping them waiting. I have this amazing woman who's helping me, who's my technical assistant, and she, I know she's bright and she's not hysterical. And we discover that on the DigiBeta NTSC machine, there's a button where you can advance one frame. The problem is when you do that, you loot, the sound drops out for about half a second. So I said, okay, get me a piece of paper and a pencil and a calculator. And so I basically made a table I said, okay, let's run it for a minute, and then now let's calculate how many frames out we are. And I said, okay, so that means every 
30 seconds, really, we need to very quickly advance two frames. Okay, now I'm doing a live mix, so I have music on a separate track from CDs. So I have to make sure that whenever I do that, it doesn't, I, we don't got a blank sound. So I said, okay, and it's like landing the plane when the engines have got or the or system's gone. And I say to this wonderful woman, are you ready? And she goes, I'm ready. Bring the audience in and we start. And we get through the entire screening on this basis and doing a live mix on the basis of advancing single frames. And at the end, we get to the end and the festival director, this crazy woman comes up and said, ha, huh, all that fuss and there was no problem, eh? <laughs> I just said, I want to strangle you. But actually I didn't. I just, I think I hugged my, my assistant. We bonded for life, I think, and I'm still sort of in touch with her. And it just was a moment of, just one of those moments where you kind of go, I'm, I cannot lose my cool. I have to actually fix this and they're not going to fix it, you know. So that, that's my war story. Well, that was that was awesome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, that was great. And Mike Figgis has got a new movie coming out, no which, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's a documentary on Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones fame. Mm. It's called Somebody Up There Likes Me, and it's got a lot of great wonder, buzz I already. A, I wonder if that's a Vonnegut reference. Mm, could be. That's, that's uh, something that Malachi Constant says in The Sirens of Titan, and it, they kind of tie it into the very end. The last line of the book is, I guess somebody up there likes you. Well, you know, even if it wasn't Vonnegut, it, it's become a uh, it's become a thing. People yeah. people say that. So uh, so I'm going to go with Vonnegut. Go on. <laughs> the movie comes out November 26th uh, in the UK. Don't know when it hits the US, but we have, you know, it turns out a ton of people in the UK listening to our voices right now. What? Yes. Uh, behind the US, the UK is the second most popular country for the cinematography podcast. Big ups to you, uh, UK, if, if big ups is a, is a thing. But like 10% of our listeners, 10%, wow. not not insignificant, are based in the UK. I won't do a really bad fake British accent. Though. No, neither will I, because uh, they will mock us. They'll, they, uh, rightfully with, so. With their excellent accents. Best so. of luck with your Brexiting. You know, if we hadn't just dumped all that tea, like in the harbor, we could have that accent right now. Uh, that's not true. Oh, oh it's not? Okay. No, no. Like, uh, the way they talk in New England is about what the British accent was in the 1700s. Oh, really? That's, true story, yeah. Oh, that, that's that. like what Shakespeare sounded like, apparently. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I, I, I'm going to prove you wrong later <laughs> when we're done with this. Anyway, uh, but right now, we have to pay the bills. That's right. It is bill-paying time. And uh, we got wonderful sponsors, which I, I'm so glad to and so happy to have on the show. Let's talk about MusicBed. MusicBed is awesome. Yeah, you probably are familiar with them already. Very. They have a really intuitive platform where you can find music for your film or online project. They have a whole bunch of different uh, varieties and genres and things like that. Have you uh, perused? I, I think in the background, actually... Right there, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm hearing, hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that's some that's some music feel, bed goodness that right there. Good. That feels good on my ears. There are uh, tens of thousands of songs, if I'm not mistaken, and they they span all genres. And you can license the music for your online project, your offline project, and uh, it's really easy to make an account. And they are so cool for our listeners. They're actually doing a uh, 20% off single song license. Do it by entering the promo code. Cinema Pod. So we'll put that in the show notes, but it is the word Cinema Pod all yeah, one I mean, word. How often have I been working on a project? I mean, because like very often between uh, all of my super glamour uh, details like Video Palace and Twenty Seconds to Live and Alien Raiders. Oof. Um, 
I, uh, I I often am doing something that's you know for a client. You yes, know, client absolutely. And having an ability to search for music or even an ability to throw it to the client and say, how do you like these tracks? Or, you know, to be able to audition a track before you buy it. These are all very important things to do because music is going to be in virtually every project you do. That's right. And I will say that uh, music beds are certainly a cut above. They have a lot of uh, really, really talented uh, indie artists, bands, and incredible composers like uh, Ryan Taubert and Chad Lawson. The music selection that you're hearing behind us, that's from them. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah, very good. They're very good. Well played, literally. So, Ben, we have to thank our other fantastic sponsor, Aperture. Aperture makes incredible products, mostly lighting products, mostly LED lighting products that are incredible output, incredibly flexible, and really, really reasonably priced. Also, I have to say, they've gotten very robust over the last few years, and so the stuff that they are churning out today is the, some of the best stuff that they have ever made. You, you're, you're, you're I have looking, nothing to add to that. You, you, you have, you're looking at me very expectantly, but I'm going to say that uh, they've got this incredible light, and it is called the 120D Mark II. It's a catchy name. It it's is. Good. It just rolls off the tongue. But this, yeah. the 120D Mark II uh, is a upgrade of their original 120, and it's a worthy upgrade. It's brighter. It's also very compact. You can power it uh, off of v-mount or gold mount batteries it's got a remote control but this light is super small and super bright and will not break the bank you will if you look at youtube channels and see a lot of youtubers who are doing better setups or actually do using lights uh, professionally you will see 120d mark ii's all over the place certainly for people who look are looking for something a little bit smaller than their next model up which is called the 300d mark ii uh, go with the 120d if you don't want to spend a lot and uh, you can live with slightly less light it, the thing's incredibly bright i don't want to spend a lot and i'd like to have slightly less light you you should the 120d mark ii is the one for you then. i'm totally so gonna get one and now short ends so uh ben it is we've reached that time of the show again where we talk about our obsession of the week yes it's short ends Short ends. Yes, yes. I, I didn't forget. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, really, <laughs> what, what, is, what is your short end? Okay, so I'm just going to roll right in. Um, since this is sort of like the artsy visual arts episode for, for us, we've had Mike Figgis on. Uh, this weekend, on Sunday, I saw a concert with uh, OK Go. So they are awesome. They are. And, if and they make the best music videos in the universe that has that have ever existed. They are pretty outrageous. And uh, their concert was very clever. I mean, I think that OK Go is, are, is actually like visual artists masquerading as a band. They are, in fact, a can, band. Can I admit something? Yeah. I was actually a big fan of them before they started making uh, these groundbreaking videos. And I, I had their first two albums. Big fan. Loved them. And then I, I, I kind of felt like they were fading. Like they kind of went. They were, they were on the way out. Like it, it was like, oh yeah, they were kind of like a minor splash in the early aughts, and then they started going away, and then they made that music video where they were on the treadmills for uh, the song is called "Here It Goes Again." Uh, yeah, they've really been groundbreaking, and if you go to YouTube and you type in OK Go, you will see you know sixty million downloads, like all, all these downloads. But uh, the, my favorite one is "Upside Down and Inside Out." That's the one that they shot on the Vomit Comet, so they're literally in zero gravity. And in one take, too. Which in, is, in one take, and they had to figure out, cause, because it's it's doing a parabolic thing, so they had to figure out how to choreograph it, so they had to, like, ramp the speed of the song and everything, so that when, that, because it goes from no gravity to way more gravity than usual, and it, it's it's just such a, such a work of genius. Yeah, uh, really, for me, though, uh, I somehow was not watching uh, the Super Bowl, 
on February 5th, 2012, which is when their music video debuted, uh, sponsored in part by a Chevrolet, uh, for a song called Needing Getting. And uh, this was all took place in a, uh, a Chevy car, where essentially the car makes the music that they are. I have seen that one. Yeah. Okay, so uh, my daughter had just been born like two days prior, and so somehow I missed that. So I just missed it because it was on the Super Bowl, and I don't ever watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, it did get like 32 million views, and uh, I, I have to say that it having completely missed it and now just seeing it at this concert which they performed live and had it playing in the background and stuff was uh pretty amazing but it was even more amazing than when i went home and i watched it again and saw what they had to go through uh to do that they never give a shout out to the cinematographer or director i don't know if uh if they were part of the band but they seem to take a lot of credit for their i think the director is the lead singer's sister oh i think she's their choreographer well i think she started as their choreographer and now she directs uh the videos so Trish Sai, I uh, just looked up. I believe that that is Damien Kulash's sister, who is a choreographer and also directed a bunch of their videos. Ah, okay. Well, we also have to give a uh, some props to uh, Jan Thomas, who was the cinematographer on that Needing Getting, which uh, looks fantastic. Kind of looks like a car commercial. Not not surprising since it prominently fe- features a Chevy car. I think they get a. They did another video that was like all with printers, like uh, inkjet printers, and I think that they sometimes are dealing with uh, sponsorship situations, but I feel like it's like the sponsor says, make art with our product. Yes, uh, Jan Thomas, I just looked him up right now. He is a director of photography with uh, a wide variety of stuff, but uh, prominently featured right at the top are a bunch of music videos, and it looks like he's done music videos for for. Uh, if you know Jan prom- Thomas, tell him we were tell him we were talking about him and we'd love to have him on and talk about OK Go videos. Yeah, he. Look, I'm just scrolling through his uh the elaborate filmography of stuff right now. He's done, he's done a lot of things. So, um, so yeah. So Jan Thomas, he keeps the lights on anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So yes, but that's been sort of my obsession this week after having seen, uh, okay, go in concert and now realizing like, I have not seen all their work and there is some very, very creative artistic stuff out there that is not like everything else. And what a wonderful medium music videos are that allow you to play and to not have to be grounded by any sort of reality. If you don't want to, you basically are setting visuals to music and, uh, uh, kudos to the people out there who elevate that art form to the next thing. Did, did you see the video for uh, I won't let you down yes I did holy yeah. crap that video is insane <laughs> yes it's, it's it's done with drones and yes it's oh. it uh, I won't let you down is and and probably a cast of a thousand so it's, it's got it's, a pretty big cast and at the end it just zooms up into the sky and you realize how massive an undertaking they and that was another one take Jake type of thing so it was like one take from beginning to end and if you have never watched okay go if you're listening to the sound of my voice right now just Google that. Just you, go, you'll, yeah. be, you'll be so thankful later yeah, that go, you went and and, totally. and and spent five minutes watching Go this. on YouTube and, and watch some OK Go videos. And uh, most of them are are brilliant. And even the ones that I don't love, are, I, I still respect the hell out of the creative spark that, that's in them all. Uh, agreed. All right. So, Ben, what's your uh, what's your short end? Uh, my short end is, as it often is, is a podcast. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's not your podcast. Is it, it is not my podcast. Okay. Actually, it's it's kind of a shift that HBO is doing. So I really? think that I brought this up months and months ago when Chernobyl was on and Craig Mazin, um, who created Chernobyl and wrote all the episodes, uh, was being interviewed by Wait, Wait, Don't Tells Me, Don't Tell Me's Peter Sagal. 
Peter Sagal, who actually also appears in the very first OK Go video as their uh, drummer, I think it is. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's it's kind of a secret thing. They 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 played it at the concert. Holy crap! I didn't know yeah. that. And I uh, and Ira Glass too, because they both uh, the OK guys at OK Go worked for NPR back in Chicago, back in whenever that you was. You just blew er- my mind. Early nineties. It's it's all okay. it's all. So yeah. I'm staying so, on. So topic Peter Sagal. Yeah. So Peter Sagal. Uh, HBO produced a podcast for Chernobyl where they went every episode week by week as they dropped the series. Peter Sagal one-on-one would interview Craig Mazin about the real research and the real story that was in each episode of Chernobyl. All right. You're not doing the Chernobyl podcast. I am not. Okay. Because you've done that. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So in a sense, I'm talking about HBO is embracing the idea of podcasting. And in particular, I'm talking about the podcast that they are doing for Watchmen. Ooh, really? Which in an interesting turn of events is hosted by Craig Mazin interviewing Damon Lindelof. (laughs) I love that. Yes. And I got to say, I've really enjoyed the first couple episodes of Watchmen. That show is banana pants. I didn't know that they were making it into a, uh, into a TV series until we were interviewing Larry Fong, the DP of the movie version of Watchmen. And I was like, why would you do that? And then I saw it and I'm like, oh, okay. They're, they're not remaking Watchmen. Not at all. They're, they're te- if you haven't seen it, it's basically set in the world of the comic book in modern times. So it's like the comic book events happened in the 1980s and this is now 2019. And we're in, modern, in the modern version of that world. And it's super way out weird and cool. So what they're doing is they're doing a new podcast episode for every three episodes. Ooh, so interesting. So we're uh, as we record this, they just recently dropped a third episode and they dropped the first episode of this podcast. And for those people who are interested in how uh, high end premium television is made, if they want to know how that sausage is made, listen to this podcast because they are going through the creative process that brought about the whole concept for the Watchmen show and Craig Mazin, who on his podcast, Script Notes, is always talking about how he doesn't listen to podcasts, is 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 uh, one of the best podcasters out there, frankly. Script Notes is, has, has always been one of my favorite uh, podcasts since, since I first heard it, and it's all about screenwriting. And now, between the Chernobyl one and this one, I, I feel like he's cemented himself in my own personal podcast hall of fame. But more importantly, I think for our listeners who are interested in, in the process of making a show like that, definitely subscribe to the Watchmen podcast podcast it's free okay so so craig mason doesn't uh listen to other podcasts but he does, does he, not does he go on other podcasts every now and then you know actually on uh you must remember this he was uh he went on and did voice acting oh in, wow in, in some episodes yeah fun i, th- I want to say he was louis b mayor or something <laughs> nice yeah and you, you must remember this also a great podcast but definitely uh i i think all of our i won't say all of our listeners but i think a lot of our listeners are interested in how these high-end TV shows are put together because I, in a lot of ways I feel like they've taken the place of a lot of movies for us, not all movies. No, but that serialized format is uh, definitely popular right now, whether it be the bingey style, which all drops at once, or as the trickle-out style, which seems to be... Which is HBO's week. HBO's current model is the trickle-out. We'll see and, when HBO Max hits what happens. Oh, and the Disney Plus, too. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I think that that about wraps it up. Who do we need to thank? Let's, as always, thank our producer, Alana Cody. Alana Cody, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. Let's thank our fantastic editor, Ben Katz. Ben Katz, you kick ass. Let's thank Kay Zalatrachi. Who is not listening to this. Not listening at all. But he he made, with the exception of the music bed commercial, he made the music in, in the <laughs> entire episode. <laughs>
that, that's right. Oh, also, um, I want to plug that uh, very shortly our YouTube channel will start to have some content uh, dribbling out. Uh, as we've mentioned in the Adam Lisa Gore episode that uh, we have something cool that's about to drop there. And hopefully by the time you hear this, it will be there. All right, so I think that's about it. Ilya, uh, you're about to go to Camera Image. That's true. I'm about to go to uh, Poland in November, where it'll be effing cold. But you're going to interview, hopefully, some uh, people that I'm going to be super jealous that you got to interview them and I didn't. Uh, I, I hope so, too. Sound, sounds like that's likely. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.